And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Today's episode of the VanCast is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeetings.com tips. That's gotomeeting.com tips. Jay Patton Drancer with you to start the week with a brand new VanCast. And Drancer, before we get into a number of Canuck-related topics, let's just take a moment to reflect on the fact that this is the two-year anniversary of the terrible a terrible Humboldt Broncos bus crash. Uh, it happened in between games, the Sedin's final home game and the final game of their careers. Uh, I was in Edmonton that day as uh, word started to trickle out late on the Friday afternoon. And then by the time we got to the rink for the Saturday morning skate, uh, of course, it was all the talk in the hockey world, and it would have taken something extraordinary to knock the Sedins off the front page of the news cycle, uh, but uh, a day that obviously this country will never forget. Yeah, and that was one that really resonated with everybody, because everyone who works in this sport, whether you're you know, a PR flack for a <laughs> fledgling Southern market team, or whether you're a guy who you know, came up in his career calling games on the radio for the Kamloops Blazers, right? Like, we've yep. all ridden the bus. Like, we've all been there. And I think that's part of the reason why, in the hockey world anyway, this was felt so deeply, was it felt so personal, it felt so familiar, um, and it was so terrible. So, you know, I, I also recall vividly that day, <clears throat> you know, we'd just sort of gotten over at the time uh, not even gotten over. I mean, we were still dealing with uh, some of the fallout from the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman of Douglas course, then. Yeah. And and it just felt like one after the other, uh, all these sort of tragedies lining up with Vegas, with, you know, uh, what happened in our community down in Broward County at the time. And then with Humboldt, uh, just all these, you know, awful occurrences and meaningless sort of loss of life in these sort of hockey communities and and it was just this feeling that that year anyway that sort of season that 17-18 season felt you know sort of heavy uh, it rested heavy on us and you know it's odd to look back and reflect on that and think from that vantage point I thought boy uh, you know I really hope we never have another year like this and now we're living in sort of a quarantine shutdown 
um, you know, a situation where there's a thousand Americans a day dying uh, from this, you know, virus. And, um, you know, probably not the brightest way to start this podcast, but but that's sort of when I reflect on that, I reflect on, you know, especially how how it sort of took me down at the moment because A, it felt familiar and B, it felt in line with these other tragedies that I'd sort of coped and grappled with throughout the course of that hockey season. Yeah, and look, I mean, we'd love games to talk about, but we don't have any. This is our reality, and so we're not going to hide from it. I just remember, uh, you know, Derek Pouliot and Derek Dorsett were the two Saskatchewan guys on the Canucks that day, and I remember Ben Kuzma was in Edmonton, and, you know, I mean, everybody had a reaction for the reasons you laid out. Every single guy that's made it to the NHL has ridden the buses somewhere along the line, so it did hit home for those guys, but, you know, for guys that uh, grew up in in Saskatchewan, had driven through Humboldt. They knew where it was on a map and could sort of feel it, you know, how tight-knit uh, the, the community in Saskatchewan is. Uh, so it hit particularly hard uh, for those two guys. It, of course, was, as I mentioned, the Sedin's final game of their career. So it happened on that final weekend of the regular season two years ago. And, of course, that's where we are right now. The billion, kajillion-dollar question, of course, would be, what would we be doing today, Thomas Drance? Uh, would, be, <laughs> would we be preparing for a Canuck playoff series, or would we be doing what we had done the previous four years, and that is kind of you know, working our way to Rogers Arena to watch these guys clear out their lockers and meet the media for one final time? Well, I'll tell you what, either way, I would have been dressed to the nines today, right? Like today would have been one of those days where I where I bring a little bit of extra, like that little bit of extra curve to my to my throw in terms of the wardrobe, right? What you do when it's an important day. And, you know, if the Canucks had made the playoffs, usually, right, like the Monday sort of before, like the series probably aren't getting underway until Tuesday or Wednesday. And you'd think with the Canadian team, if the Canucks had been in the playoffs, they would have tried to stagger it so that the Canucks would have started or would have played on Saturday. So I'd imagine that they'd have been a Thursday, Saturday start. So we probably, maybe today would have been a day off, but most likely today would have either been us traveling, getting on the, getting on a flight to get to wherever we had to go or, or going down to Rogers arena for sort of like a media day blitz, like a practice where there's a little bit more availability so that you can fill your recorder before the games really start to matter. And, you know, that would have been a great experience either way. Like, either way, there would have been buzz. We would have been excited. You know, you probably would have done three additional radio hits somehow. Um, <laughs> we would have been in it. And if it was garbage bag day, same thing, right? Like, that would have been, the last 48 hours would have been extraordinarily fascinating if the Canucks had missed just because you know from the perspective of a team when it comes to year-end analysis from spokespeople with your team like you don't put up on the dais guys who you don't intend to retain right like that's why you sort of see guys tend you tend to see people fired this week right like this tends to be a pretty tough day for the coaching and management professions And so, you know, that would have been a fascinating sort of subplot to follow. Like, would we have been going down to Rogers Arena to see Jim and Travis speak or or might the spokesperson have been entirely different? I mean, that's something we'll never know, but something that certainly I keep in mind when I consider what today would have looked like in a normal world. All right. Well, there aren't games to play. We'll likely never know how the 2019-2020 regular season was ultimately going to play out. But as we've been doing here uh, since the stoppage of games, 
Uh, we have been charting our colleague Dom LeSusian at The Athletic and his modeling of the games that were never played. And Saturday was going to be the Canucks season finale against Vegas, uh, which they won, by the way, again. 11-1-1 in the 13 games that were not played by the Vancouver Canucks. God. Runaway winners of the Pacific Division home ice advantage. And as we've said for the better part of a week now, you know, it was angling for a showdown against the Minnesota Wild in the first round. And we thought, well, look, we're not going to have playoffs at least not anytime soon. So let's jump into it. Let's have a little fun. And in our minds, at the very least, try to envision how a Canucks-Minnesota first round matchup may have played out. And just for people's reminder, um, Mini beat the Canucks two of the three games they played. The Canucks went into Minnesota in the back end of back-to-backs in mid-January, one in Buffalo, and then I had to divert to Charlotte, North Carolina to get to from Buffalo to Minnesota. That's what I remember about that game and that weekend. Uh, but I got there to Mini, right. and the Canucks were 4-1 winners in Minnesota. They had to go back to Minnesota a month later, and remember that was after the Boston game. PD didn't play. He was... We think injured on the Matt Grizzlick hit. Didn't play the late scratch, the drama, and all that uh, ensued there. And the Canucks, frankly, didn't have it. Uh, Give Minnesota credit. They won the hockey game. uh, But the Canucks weren't very good at the tail end of that trip. And then Minnie, in Tyler Toffoli's first game of the Canucks, uh, Canucks had a 3-2 lead with five to go at Rogers Arena a couple weeks later in late February. And they pissed it away. Alex Galchenyuk, of all people. Score the tying goal, and then Minnesota won it in a shootout. So Minnesota beat the Canucks two of three, but the Canucks get three points from the three games. So pretty much a saw off there uh, in the real standings. The games that were actually played, the Canucks had one more point than Minnesota did uh, in the regular season. So, you know, we're splitting hairs here in terms of uh, the matchup and, you know, whether there was a distinct advantage. Those are all the real statistics. How is this thing going to play out? in fiction land well first of all the big story of around vancouver today would be how are they going to shut down kevin fiala right like that's (laughs) what everyone's talking about in this market secondly we're all dredging up stories of darby hendrickson and wes walls and the 2003 series right like that's a big talking point um there's a lot of jokes on canucks twitter about how the wild have a rivalry with minnesota Or sorry, how Minnesota has a rivalry with Vancouver, but it doesn't go the other way around. Even though the Wild won that playoff series, that's sort of how the plot line goes. And secondly, or thirdly, I guess, every scrum that Brock Besser does is going to have, at minimum, 15 people in it for the next two weeks, right? Like, Brock Besser is going to be the guy who has to speak twice a day to 15 to 20 people. Like, there is no good Brock Besser feature being written This is all going to be the rote, like, game day stuff from Brock. And he's going to answer about 8 million questions about, you know, how conflicted he is as a guy who, you know, grew up watching college hockey to the point where he has vivid and happy memories of rooting on Patrick White, notable Canucks draft bust, as uh, in, in big high school tournaments, right? Like, how does he feel about, you know, battling his home state in the playoffs, right? That's, that's a question that he is going to field. 35 times over the next two weeks in the event that Dom's reality on Earth 2 was actually what we were living through right now. You know what? Like, honestly, is that I hear you say that, and you're right. Like, Besser would be such a central 
character on all this. And in some ways, maybe that would be a, like a, a blessing in disguise for guys like Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, who would get their fair share of attention. But I honestly think that the scrums would be bigger around Brock Besser on a daily basis in a series against the Minnesota Wild than they might be for Pettersson and Hughes. And we know that Elias Pettersson, you know, he understands his role in all this, but it would be fascinating to see him go through the playoffs for the first time. I mean, I'd love to see him on the ice, but off the ice, because we know that he can get a little bothered, you know, when the attention is too much and he's kind of done with, you know, but sometimes as players, you don't get that say, like it just keeps coming at you in waves not so much in the first round, but still, in a hockey market like Vancouver and Minnesota is a great hockey market too. Um, you know, maybe that's one of the roles Brock Besser could play is just take a little bit of the media heat off guys like Pedersen and Quinn Hughes and let them do their thing. Here's my theory about Pedersen. I think Pedersen is wired to be so competitive that I think the moment a playoff series starts, all he'd have is praise for the opponent. Like, he'd really be like, oh, like... You know, pumping their tires. Not not in fact, but like pumping their tires. Like I think Pedersen would say everything kindly about his opponent in a playoff series. And then the moment it was done, in the event that the Canucks had win, he'd be like, yeah, they, they really struggled to contain me there. <laughs> like, he'd be like that guy. Like he wouldn't twist the knife. He wouldn't give them any bulletin board material until the moment it was done. And then he'd be like throwing dirt. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure that that's how Pedersen would carry himself in a playoff series based on the you know, 70 plus games that we observed him for, I think it would have been a lot of fun to see how those guys would have handled the pressure and, and, you know, on the ice, how they would have handled sort of the targeting and the increased physical play uh, that inevitably comes down once you get to a seven game series. Well, it's funny. You mentioned Kevin Fiala, and it is no joke. I mean, since the All-Star break, he and JT Miller were tied for sixth in the NHL in scoring. So they were both red hot, and both would have been focal points of the opponents and trying to contain them. You know, I've said all season, like, there's really nothing sexy about the Minnesota Wild, but they are a collection of, you know, battle-tested veteran guys. Everybody knows the names. But remember, they had traded Jason Zucker to Pittsburgh, and it looked like maybe... You know, they weren't packing it in necessarily, but Bill Guerin was trying to reshape his team on the fly where the Canucks went out and brought in Tyler Toffoli. Um, you know, I, I think if the Canucks had had home ice advantage, I still like the Canucks' chances four out of seven against the Minnesota Wild, but, you know, like 2003, I mean, I, I think it had the potential just based on what I had mentioned at the outset of, you know, how close it was in a lot of different ways uh, I think it had the potential to go the distance, as you love playoff series to do, certainly in the in the first round. Uh, you know, going seven in the opening round maybe isn't ideal if you're trying to get on a long run and, you know, use that much energy. But uh, we know that you know, that happened back in, in 2011, obviously, for the Canucks as well. Uh, but I, I think on balance, I think one area the Canucks had an edge was probably the power play. Minnesota's penalty kill was an issue for them most of the season. I guess if I'm making a prediction, I think the Canucks probably prevail uh, in a lengthy series. Yeah, I think the athletic series deep dive probably would have picked a six-game series and basically flip a coin. Like six games, probably picking Minnesota. And I sort of picks like my, my sort of rule of thumb is I always pick the home team to win the series on home ice. So yeah. if, I think it's, if I think it's close um, and I'm picking the road team, I always pick six. Uh, I don't like... I don't, I don't really go into it beyond that. Like if it's close and I think the home team wins, I pick them in seven or uh, if it's not close, I think I pick five 
And, uh, and I always pick the road team. If they're going to win, if I think they're going to win, I tend to pick them in six unless I really think there's going to be a sweep or something ridiculous. So I, I think I would be picking Minnesota in six just because I like Minnesota's overall structure in terms of their defensive play a little bit better. And I think that ultimately, while Vancouver has more potent offensive pieces, I tend to pick the team with, uh, you know, sort of the sturdier five-on-five game and and the better defensive play. Uh, Because in the playoffs, I tend to think, and and as I proved, I think, with the Sedin Cup, uh, a defense and goaltending tends to to win the series. Now, that said, that might have been the equalizer. Once I sort of went under the hood of Alex Stalock and Devin Dubnik, I mean, assuming Markstrom had been healthy and back, uh, you know, I really do think that that might have been a, a game changer and a game changer for me in terms of calling a, a prediction on the series, but also in terms of Vancouver's overall sort of uh, formidable posture going into the playoffs. And I think that's a big thing to unpack just because Markstrom and his form, right, through the month of February until his injury, right before the trade deadline, like, I think that Markstrom's play was a major reason why the Canucks went in and got Tyler Toffoli. Like, obviously the Brock Besser injury and on and on mattered, but I think the Canucks thought with a goalie this hot right now, like if you're going to go into the playoffs and have a chance to mess with some people, upset some expectations, like that's the wild card you want in your hand and we've got it now. And I think that was a big underlying reason why this team was so aggressive. And, you know, it's too bad we didn't get to see it play out, even if you know, we're not exactly sure how Markstrom would have looked on his return uh, from that knee injury. I do think that the Canucks' road record all season was going to be an issue with them making the playoffs in the real world. And, you know, I think they had the 13 games, seven of them were at home, but they still had six out on the road. And, you know, they had frittered away too many points there with losses to Columbus and Ottawa uh, that it was going to put some pressure on them to get results away from home. And they, they hadn't done a very good job of that. Uh, really since uh, the start of the new year. So, you know, I, I do think if they had fallen short, the road record may have been an issue. And I know Travis Green was asked about it an awful lot through the season. And, you know, when you're a good team, you want to be good at home and on the road. Uh, the Canucks had sort of figured it out, a way to grind out results at home. But nobody really ever had a great explanation for, you know, their struggles on the road. And I, I do wonder, ultimately, if they had got to the playoffs, you know, would that have been an issue for them? And so, you know, I think your point's a fair one. The idea of the Canucks, you know, winning multiple games in Minnesota, that seemed like a stretch, even though they did win there in January. Um, but if they were going to close out a series... You know, to your point, I think it probably would have had to come at home just because I'm not sure that I had the confidence in in the Canucks winning two of three in Minnesota. And I just think in today's NHL, you you pretty much have to bank on winning at least a road game and quite often two in any playoff series. That you know, home ice is great in theory, but any team that makes the playoffs is you know an upper half team in the league. They all had some degree of success away from home, and uh, you know you just don't outside of the occasional sweep. But, you know, quite often you're going to see teams win on the road in the playoffs. And so I, I just, I, again, all these things that you, you wish you could have seen how they would have played out. I, I wanted to see uh, how the Canucks road performance down the stretch and, and into the playoffs uh, would have gone for them. No, no question. And, and especially to see how 
the young guys would have reacted and and you know imagine they had gone 10 one and one as dom projects they would have <laughs> like would we be talking about jt miller having put the team on his back would we be talking about thatcher demko stepping up and how the canucks can keep both goaltenders would we be talking about you know quinn hughes and did he pass doug lidster did he pass ray bork like was he top five all time in in scoring by a rookie defenseman and you know might petterson have finally sort of begun to get his due as the actual most valuable player on this team uh, because of his sort of electric form in the second half and, and how we'd be talking about the contrast with his rookie season when he faded a bit down the stretch and that maturity and you know what would that change about our you know how we talk about and regard his sort of ceiling as a two-way force in the NHL I mean all of that would have been fascinating um, to talk about to see play out obviously we don't get to get to do that we'll get to do it at some point you know, next season, most likely, but, uh, you know, the, uh, certainly when I think about it, it still, it still gets me revved up, Jeff. Like, even though, even though we didn't get to sort of actually have these conversations, the idea of it, uh, still excites me. Like, I still like the idea that in earth two, there is a playoff series going on and I'll be fascinating to see how Dom's simulation plays it all out. Well, look, because Saturday was the final game of the regular season, and I know other people had asked it, but I just I took the time on Saturday, uh, lofted it out there on Twitter, who was ultimately the Canucks MVP, and the four candidates were Markstrom, Miller, Quinn Hughes, and Elias Pettersson, and we addressed this, what, a week or 10 days ago, but the people made our point for us again here, Drancer, over the weekend, 4,000 votes. Uh, the surprise isn't that Markstrom won, uh, he was the people's choice, 45% of the vote, Miller with 32 Hughes was 12. The surprise, but maybe it shouldn't have been, was that Elias Pettersson finished fourth in this voting with a paltry 11% of the 4,000 votes that were cast on Twitter. Uh, ridiculous. So we, in putting together that Sedin Cup project, right, Dom didn't just rate our seasons. He rated every Canucks season since 07 by this metric, right? And Pettersson's 1920 is a top 10 season all time by a Canucks skater since 07. So a top 10 season by a Canucks skater in the last 13 years is what Pedersen had already done through 70-ish games this year, 68 games this year. And every other name on that list, every other last name on that list is Sedin, and there's one Kessler, <laughs> right? Like that's, But that's the company that he began to keep this season. There's no one else there. Like... Quinn Hughes had the third best or the second best season from a Canucks defender over that same stretch. So, I mean, you know, the fact that we're seeing performances that elite be almost overlooked is quite a stunning sort of turn of events for a team that two years ago was, you know, as bereft of talent as it was. Right. And, and so I suppose if you're looking at it from a broad perspective, the fact that they do have some elite talent now, you know, it does kind of uh, murky the water a little bit in terms of runaway winners in these kinds of polls. But, you know, the point that we made, and, and it still stands, is that uh, it does sort of feel like just two years in, uh, in the marketplace, that Pedersen is already taken for granted a little bit. Like, I was looking at it yesterday, you know, outside of Pavel Bure and Alex McGillney, like, at least Pedersen's third on the points per game list by any Canuck that's played more than 20 games in his career. Like, you know, the right. idea of this guy basically being a point a game guy 
in each of his first two seasons in the National Hockey League, and he gets 11% of the vote. Like, again, that somehow this season, <laughs> this season didn't measure up for whatever reason. And I wonder, too, because, you know, there has been, uh, there's been points made on Twitter and, and other social platforms about, you know, a low-key heart trophy kind of caliber season for Elias Pettersson by some metrics. And it does make me wonder, uh, you know, are like for the amount of data that's available to people, are people just voting still with, you know, with their eyes? Like, I mean, uh, you know, I sometimes wonder uh, for how much discussion there is about analytics and the data that's there. Um, you know, are people not using it? I mean, you can't tell people how to be fans, obviously, but uh, it's funny when I see these kinds of results, I just wonder, like, you know, what are the factors that go into people casting their ballot? I mean, I think the answer is yes. Like, I think narrative heft still matters, right? I think, you know, for example, like, it's not just Pedersen. Like, one guy who I think should get a lot more heart buzz and, and maybe would have down the stretch if his team had actually qualified for the playoffs. But, like, Artemi Panarin's individual impact this season on the New York Rangers is mind-blowing. Like, I've almost never seen anything like it in 10 years. Like, the game changes so significantly when he's on the ice to the point where the Rangers are a top-five team when he's on and, like, a bottom team, straight-up bottom team. Like, not quite the Detroit Red Wings, but next to it whenever he's not. And that kind of gap is so rare. But, again, I don't think that he was getting the heart buzz that he probably deserved. I I probably don't know that I'd put Pedersen in sort of that heart conversation yet. No, uh, I think I'm with you there. I, I think he'll. I think he'll get there though. And and one thing though that I think matters a lot about that point per game rate sort of conversation that that you just had is you know Pedersen's points per game rate for his career at 21 is what a shade below one, right? Is yep. we're talking like yep. nine six, nine two, something like that. So you know in the recent inflated second contract era, right? We're talking about guys like Jack Eichel, guys like Leon Dreisaitl. Guys like McDavid, Matthews, Marner, right? Of the names that I just listed, only one of those players exceeded point per game over the course of his entry-level contract prior to signing his big extension, and that's Connor McDavid. Now, Pedersen is actually second among that list of superstars that I just listed in terms of points per game through his first two seasons. So when you think about what his next contract could look like, right? You have to keep that in mind because his company is not, you know, your $8 million player, right? It is the highest paid guy in the league is likely to be his closest. Like, forget Nico Heischer and his $7 million extension. Like, Pedersen's comp can credibly be delivered as McDavid. And that's going to be something that's going to be really tricky for Jim Benning, Chris Gear, John Weisbrod and company to navigate just because this is a guy who's built a pretty stupendous resume through two seasons. He's going to be eligible for an extension at some point this summer, one would imagine. And that's going to be a really difficult deal to navigate just because, look, like with all the cap uncertainty and on and on, you know, there's a variety of reasons that you may want to be conservative. On the other hand, what if Pedersen's age 22 season, you know, takes as, as a step, the same type of step that he took this year, YOY, even if the scoring stats don't reflect it, the step was pretty massive 
if he takes that similar type of step next season, like the, the way that that conversation will look, the way that leverage balance will impact that those negotiations could be super dramatic. All right. Well, I don't want you to give away too much because I do want to explore this topic in depth and we'll do that. We'll make the pledge to the VIPs because I think it's fascinating and it's not just Patterson. Obviously, Queen Hughes uh, is, you know, in the same sort of boat and, and certainly in the same timeline, needing a new contract, a second contract uh, after next season. But, you know, in, in the perfect world, July 1st would have been uh, the opportunity that they could have at least started exploring those types of things. Who knows what the NHL calendar is going to look like. But on an upcoming pod, I, I do want to get into a little bit more about comparables. And, you know, from a Canucks perspective, are there ways to uh, keep the number down? And obviously from the players and their camps perspective, you know, some of the things that they'll be able to bring to the negotiating table. So we'll we'll leave that because I think we could uh, go deep there and, and do an entire podcast on both Pedersen and Hughes and what their next contracts might look like. But I want to leave time today uh, because I know that you want to embarrass me. You like to do that on a regular basis. And and I'm going to give you this opportunity in a a new feature that we're going to tack on to the VanCast. And we'll take turns doing this back and forth. But what are we calling it? Name that Canuck? Name that Canuck. We need okay. some theme music. We'll we'll get uh we'll get our producer on it. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> what uh or lay lay out uh, where we're going with this, because this was your idea, and I liked right. it and I was willing to play along. Alright, so here's the here's the rules. We uh, today, for example, I will be the person asking you to name that Canuck. So I'm going to give you three clues, and the clues are going to get progressively easier. As we go. So I'm not designing this like you should get it by the second or third clue. If you get the first clue, like the first clue should be designed to be like, wow, like that's amazing that he got that. You know, that's sort of how I'm how I'm building this. So first clue, really tough. Second clue, medium tough. Third clue, you're going to try and get it. If you get it on the first one, you get three points. If you get it on the second one, you get two points. If you get it on the third clue, you get one point. We'll keep score, and at the end of this, we'll work out some sort of, uh, you know, punishment or, or gift or, or what have you that the other ha- that the winner receives from the loser. Not not quite a gumbat, but like a no. quarantine version to, to keep us competitive as we go here. All right, we've got to sharpen those skills. Okay, well, you're the game show host today, so uh, fire away. All right, I'm beginning with a pandemic-themed question, so this is going to be this is going to be a lot of fun. You ready? I am. (laughs) On the same day that the federal government told the province of Ontario or offered the province of Ontario $330 million to offset the economic impact of the first SARS, this player managed an assist in a Canucks victory over the Montreal Canadiens to give him eight points in his past eight games. Oh, man, that's a lot to process all at once here on the fly. (laughs) Eight points in eight games, SARS pandemic. Uh, yeah, I don't have a guess yet, so I will move on to clue number two. All right. If Sonny Corleone, or no, sorry, the clue is Sonny Corleone would go to war with this player. Oh, geez. Um how are your Godfather quotes, J-Pat? Yeah, not great. That's not a, an area of strength for me, but I, I think I can deduce from this that there's 
uh, you know, probably an Italian connection. Maybe. Eh. No? All right. I thought I could <laughs> no, squeeze out. No, I would out, say like, no. Oh, I thought maybe I could squeeze out like a bonus clue from you. Um, no, no, no. Sorry. Well, I'll no. give you a bonus clue. No Italian connection. Okay. Uh, well, that now has me... Um, I'm not liking this one so far. I'm not liking my chances. I, I, I'll give you. I'll give you a bonus clue before I get to the third one. Okay. So, when when Sonny Corleone, the eldest son of Don Corleone and the Godfather, goes to war, right? It's referred to as going to the mattresses. Oh, so Jason King. <laughs> there you go. Let's give you one and a half points. I'll take one and a half because you're right. That yeah. was basically the third clue. Okay. So, <laughs> I'll take my clue, one and a half. Yeah. The third clue you would have got, I'm pretty sure, was this player was the rookie of the month for November 2003. Oh, I don't know, but I'm glad I got know? it at one and a half. So. <laughs> Fair enough. I thought that I thought you'd get it at. Uh, I thought the mattresses clue. Like I, I figured it was indirect because if I'd said go to the mattresses, it's obviously very simple. But right. The, but the I figured if you knew yeah, your but Godfather, Godfather, I figured that no would Godfather work. quotes are and movie quotes in general, not uh, necessarily my wheelhouse. But <laughs> okay, all I know I'll, is I'll lose that. I've got I've got a one and a half point lead on you, and that's all I need to know right now. <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you'll 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 come back at me. Uh, maybe some golf references, something that I'm a little so weaker at um, next time around. But uh, but yeah, that's how the that's how the game show will work. And uh, congratulations on your one and a half points. All right, last time we did the pod, you were celebrating the Sedine Cup. This time, uh, you're on the outside looking in as Wyatt <laughs> took you down in Canucks Twitter March Madness. Now, yeah. the Final Four has a very strong athletic Vancouver tie, though. Like, I think you know we should mention that. We'd love to have you in this select group, but uh, Wyatt, with his campaigning, he took you down. But Harm is still alive. I'm vicious still in slander. there. It was and vicious now, slander, truly. It was. It was very creative. <laughs> oh, it was and great. I got a... Mor- Mork, my good friend Mork. <laughs> that was tremendous. Just yeah, I didn't realize full, you and full I kudos. I didn't realize you and Mark or Mork went bike riding uh, through Central Park. Uh, I saw the photos, and yeah, it was uh, uh, good on Wyatt. But anyways, to to have Wyatt and Harm and myself uh, in the final four with that other guy, the goalie guy from. You know who he is. Um, you know the athletic. <laughs> the athletic is pretty well represented, and I don't trust Wyatt for a sec. That snake's going to turn on me next, so I know that. Hundred oh, percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. I think uh, I'm. I'm looking forward to him lambasting you. I, I hope you get the full treatment. You, you know he. The good thing about Wyatt is he does it in such a way you can't even be mad, right? Like there's no. no there's no hurt feelings. Like it's it's. Yeah. But it's so good-natured, and it's so funny. Like, the idea of me having an Oli Jokinen oil painting. <laughs> like, I was crying, I like yeah. laughing at that. Um, so, well done. Congratulations to Wyatt. And I'm glad that we've got three of four uh, contestants in the final four who are representing the Athletic. Um, you know, it, when you add me and Dollywall making it to the Elite Eight, uh, I think yeah. really, this, really this entire competition was a celebration of the team we've built. Uh, so I'll sort of take that as uh, as my loser point anyway. Um, well, the overtime and look, loss to Wyatt, and in some cosmic fashion as well. Like I, I do think it's kind of cool that Wyatt and I are going to battle now uh, to come out of the Botchford bracket, right? Like that seemed, yeah. That, you know, all things considered, I know that uh, we'll let uh, Harm and, and Luongo 
uh, fight it out uh, on the Gallagher side of things. But uh, I was delighted that I was in the Botford bracket, and now I get the chance to, to duke it out uh, with uh, Wyatt for a, a spot in the final. So we'll th- see how things go. I'll let him do the campaigning. Uh, I'm just happy to be here. Uh, I, I, <laughs> before we finish up, I just want to mention um, the great one. Wayne Gretzky is going to join Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun on Two Man Advantage this week. You'll find that at The Athletic. And, of course, don't forget to please rate and subscribe The Vancast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash thevancast, you get 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. So on an upcoming pod, we'll dive right into next contracts for Pedersen and Hughes. I look forward to doing that, and uh, we'll see what else uh, we can come up with. we got uh, some things, some wheels in motion behind the scenes, looking maybe to add a guest or two along the way here uh, before too much longer. So uh, hopefully we can make that happen as well. And, you know, if any news drops on the Canucks front, certainly uh, we'll jump on that as well. But uh, let's call it a day, Drancer. Good stuff, as always, and we'll uh, catch up later in the week. All the best, Jay Bat. There you go. For Thomas Grants, Jeff Patterson, thanks so much for listening to the VanCast here on The Athletic and theathletic.com. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.